guards and all the people who they recruit throughout the weekend to join them in their flights of fancy. Um, it was, I think, five in the evening, maybe six, or I get back to the hotel room after rehearsing for a play that I was in at Ascendio, and we get back to the hotel room, and it's like a disaster area, <laughs> strewn everywhere. Is this is this toilet paper? Um, actually, no, it's just remnants. And then, so Keith is in the room, uh, or we were also rooming with Keith Hawk, and he says, "I have a picture to show you." And I said, "Oh, uh, okay." So he shows us this picture, and it's this toilet paper that's just laid all over the beds and the chair and the dresser and the TV, hanging from the uh, curtains. But then the next day, I come back into the hotel room, same thing, except this time I can very clearly see. That Zach and Dylan and anybody else. <laughs> it was Jessica made... from Hypeable that helped with us. And Jessica Yay! from Hypeable. <laughs> she destroyed the room All with us. I'm so proud. A toilet paper, a toilet paper fort. I say, Dylan, what the hell is this? And he says, it's a toilet paper fort. <laughs> of course it is. Of course it is. Listen, of course it, it's, it's if like you, you guys... don't have your own kingdom, such as Winterfell or such as any of the other selected you guys kingdoms built, inside this universe, like, we did. Re- reading these chapters, you guys built like the Winterfell of toilet paper forts in our hotel room. <laughs> I well, was, we, we I was only slightly, I was only slightly impressed. It took you, it took you the second, you know, two tries. The first try, I guess, the toilet paper just didn't stand up the way you wanted it to. We but had the to think the gods afterward. It. it was just like, uh, it was, it was completely due to pure physics and, of course, the blessing from the old gods and the new that made that whole mm-hmm. entire thing withstand. This is Game of Thrones, a podcast about Game of Thrones, not toilet paper. How are you guys? <laughs> right. I would have fooled me. <laughs> we made a specific call for toilet paper. I was like, this is what I, <laughs> I called the front desk or the equivalent of the front desk. And I said, hello, is this the equivalent of the front desk? They were like, yes, it is. <laughs> I was like, okay, guys. on the phone says concierge. Yeah. It, so, it said something weird, like help. So I just yeah. pressed help. So uh, they said to me, yes, it is. And I said, okay, um, could we have some toilet paper uh, a selection of bandages <laughs> and also also some more coffee cups because we're running low on coffee uh-huh. so road soda road soda so that was a it was it was a good old time and I, I had to miss um a lot of the a lot of the news of that last week but also of this week because I've been I've literally I, I got home from Ascendio at 5 a.m which is one of the reasons why we couldn't record an episode last week. So let's give a big apology to everyone, guys. Sorry, guys. Sorry, We're everyone. Sorry. sorry. We apologize. <laughs> so I, I got home at 5 a.m. after Ascendio, and the band I was directing a video for arrived at 3 p.m. that day. So wow. And they literally just left like at midnight last night. So <laughs> I feel like, and I look like, I've been on the island for about two weeks. So <laughs> The island? Yeah, or mm-hmm. this, or I've been traveling the King's Road if we want to make You're it relevant. You're about ready so, to find the hatch. And, yeah, I have yeah. a massive shadow on my face from uh-huh. unshaven hair, and <laughs> and here we are today. Yay! So what, what has happened in Game of Thrones for the past two or a week and a half? I don't know, week and a half. What has so happened? So much. Well, Comic-Con happened. And that's pretty much all that's happened. But and that Hodor kind of happened all over Hodor Comic-Con. Hodor happened yeah. at Comic-Con. Oh, listen, I got that one. <laughs> I lost my cell phone, but I still managed off of my iPad and strategic Wi-Fi access. And Micah sent us all an email, and he was like, hey, guys, I found the owner of the year. <laughs> yes. And it's just Christian Naren just, like, chilling at Comic-Con, being a total boss. Hodor yeah. owned Comic-Con. 
pretty much. Even at the panel, you know, all the actors stood up and clapped for him. It was it was awesome. God, that is awesome. And this, the funny thing is that he was there. He wasn't on the panel. He was just there. And it was like, that's that's what I would do if I were like part of that huge cast and only eight I of them know. or whatever got got yeah. to Comic Con. I just show up. Yeah, and he's, you know, a big, the stupid he's a thing big character. Was, he is, and the stupid thing was on the panel itself there were two empty chairs. And nobody was sitting there. And I was like, kept waiting for someone to come out. No one did. I was like, why did they not put Hoder there? I think that they're looking for more input other than just a proper noun, which happens to be his name. It would be better you know? than nothing. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. It would be weird to have him speculate stuff about the series and not just say Hodor. I know. When he's is he going to say another word? <laughs> we have a very witty uh, forum thread in Game of Thrones slash forum where uh, some of you guys have just a thread going just using the word Hodor. So that's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> so how very, exciting very intelligent witty people yeah, on the forums very funny. It, it all it all goes to where you place the hyphen i think uh-huh. yeah you're right oh you're god right. <laughs> it, it was great though seeing that uh clearly hodor is not just a stable boy that he can bartend um that he can take mm-hmm. on darth vader i believe uh oh. he he uh tweeted clearly mr vader is going to get some winterfell smackdown uh, yeah, he will. <laughs> and there's this great picture I, we can put in the show notes of, of him squaring off against Darth Vader. Man, if only mm-hmm. that would have actually happened. If George Lucas would have changed his canon just a little bit, we could have had maybe a more interesting episode one, two, and three. It would have been so great. He would have been like, I am your father. Hold on! <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's from Hoth because it's so cold there. <laughs> he's like, I grew up with Wampas, guys. What do you expect? <laughs> Riding Tauntauns. Yeah. I'm he sorry. He would have been Not best friends with the Wookiee. It would have been great. I bet. I guarantee everyone that's listening right now that Hodor is a Jedi, and he just like he's so <laughs> he's so sad about his midichlorian count getting down because oh. of the cold. Like he just says one word. That's it. Yeah, I'm so glad that we're switching out the Potter references this week for Star Wars. We're really mixing it up. It's off seasons doing great things. For the show. Yeah. Well, I think we've had enough Potter references for the past week, or I have at Probably. least. Probably. Yeah. Oh, you guys yeah. must have been oversaturated. No, I was just gonna ask if any of you guys actually saw the comic-con panel this year not yet okay so i did the homework (laughs) (laughs) thank you you're welcome (laughs) Um, you're the overachiever I really I am. have an excuse though, guys. What the hell are you guys doing? Yeah, I was. Yeah, Ill. guys. <laughs> M- Micah, what about you? Huh? Uh, working. Micah was too busy sourcing photographs for our show notes. It's That's right, guys. Yeah. I somehow Everyone found time part. in my, you know, my traveling from from the south to now. I'm I'm now beyond the wall, back where I belong. You know, the thing is, I don't think it was the, I don't think it was the road soda that got me sick. It was the one puff of a cigarette I had like Thursday night right before we went into the park. <laughs> I swear that's what did me in. Well, I've, been, I've been coughing ever since. It's been terrible. That'll do it. Don't smoke, children. No. Don't smoke, happens. children. It's dangerous and illegal. Because <laughs> you have to murder that's them first. That's kind of gross, yeah. But yeah, no, the Comic-Con panel, I mean, for, for anyone who did see it, it was pretty much nothing was revealed. It, the, the only thing that really came out of that was interesting. I, God, that's so negative. I'm like, God, it sucked. It was good. But the only thing that really came out of it was all the new characters that were introduced. I think that was really cool. And George R. R. Martin made some uh, awkward sex references as well, which, you know, mm, is always uh, I want to know more about this. Because if there's someone you want to listen to talk about sex, it's definitely <laughs> George R. R. Martin. It is. I mean, it's his characters. I, I don't Ray. know. Guys, um, sit down on my knee. Let's talk about some stuff. <laughs> All of you at once. Sorry, go ahead. I, I would uh, sorry. I would say it's worth watching the Comic Con panel just for the um, for the awkward um, awkward pauses that occur. Um, I know I know I've seen some people on Hyperbole comment that it's it's a really good useful panel, but when you actually watch it, it's basically George R. R. Martin sort of he keeps trying to get people to laugh with 
with the sex then no one laughs and then there's a pause and he goes <laughs> and but what caused on. it to go in that direction was he talking about know. stuff that he wrote in his own series yeah or? I mean he, he brought up you know the um, the sketch that we talked about a while back you know the SNL one with the little boy um, yeah, put, and yeah. he brought that up at first which was funny but then like the second and third time it was brought up during the panel it sort of lost its steam um, yeah. and then he sort of he just he just kind of um, the, the guests obviously were there to um <laughs> Ta-da. Surprise. Um, to, to talk about Game of Thrones, but it ended up being a bit more sort of, so, Rose Leslie, you grew up in a castle. What was that like? And um, it was a bit awkward, I think. But um, but Michelle Fairley did sort of make a make a really good joke, though. She um, also sex-related, though. You guys need to watch it. There's no fun for me talking about this on my own. Well, I was going to say, I hope this isn't like an indication that the show is going south if... Or, or that somehow something's amiss. The fact that they didn't create this absolutely stellar you know, baller panel for Comic-Con the way that it was in the first season. You I know? think they had it in mind, but the actors, like a bunch of them bowed out last out, minute is yeah. what happened. Yeah. We were, we reported on the site some, I was a little disappointed, but I figured they would come back from it pretty strong, but maybe not. No, I, I don't know. I, I feel like it was probably because, you know, you expect Comic-Con panels to be sort of full of, of interaction between the stars. You know, they sort of play off on one another and I think it was just because it was set up as him asking one specific ask- actor a question and then moving on to the next actor it got very stunted you know it would kind of be like if we did our if we did this podcast with one of us going so Micah what did you think about Hodor and then you say your thing and then so Eric speaking of Theon <laughs> you know, yeah, that, would, no, that I, wouldn't I, be very I hate good. that. Yeah, I yeah. can't stand that. It really no. limits people's creativity and their ability to kind of respond in a way that is unpredictable. That's disappointing, right. though, yeah. because last year's panel I thought was really good. You had Peter Dinklage there. You also had uh, Cal Drogo. And, yes. You know, there was a lot of interaction the amongst the different actors and actresses on the panel. So I'm surprised. Maybe it just wasn't the right combination. Here. Well, maybe they'll ask us to do a little thing next year. Because <laughs> yeah, clear, like, clearly we're in. a lot better than them. So <laughs> clearly, <laughs> right? Of clearly, course, I mean, we could do the gosh. Star Wars one if we wanted to. I know. <laughs> the good thing about the panel, I, one of the good things was that one of the things they did was introduce a whole host of characters that will be in the third season. And we've been seeing a lot of excitement about that on Twitter, which. Mm. Well, I have seen this video, and guys, I have to say, this this video, the format that this video is in, we have to replicate that for, like, I don't know, an intro to our own show or a video log or something. It's everybody well-dressed in just introducing <laughs> themselves and saying the character that they play, and then that's it. And they're talking about, and there's good music, and they're like, I'm really excited to be doing this. So, so who would you play? we play? Yeah. Who would you well, be? we just be like, hey, you know, I'm Zach Louie. I, uh, you know. That's a great question, though. No, who would you play in the series, Eric? (laughs) Who would you play? Well, I don't know who I'd play in the series. (laughs) Eric would play Theon. What are you guys talking (laughs) about? (laughs) You guys just seen the fishnet. My father told me. (laughs) No, but uh, no, this video is great, and and it's you don't know who these actors are, but you can tell already that they're so into the roles. Like it's it's. I don't know at what point they are in filming, but they they're pronouncing their own character's name right, which I guess is the first step. (laughs) <laughs> but yes. it really is. They're like, yes. they're, 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 they're able to communicate at least that much. It's not that you're just getting anybody. These people look genuinely excited to be playing their roles. Well, they're also mm. being well-paid, I'm sure, so that's pretty nice. But how well-paid could they possibly be? They're part of a cast of, what, 50 now? How, I mean, how is this working? How is that? I mean, that's just what I wanted to know. I'll tell you guys this. What I do, doing my film stuff, it's just a blast being able to be a part of it at all. So... For them just to show up in cool ass clothes, 
and just to get some cash for it, I'm sure they're super pumped. This exposure, too, especially if they're not well-known actors or actresses, the exactly. Game of Thrones opens up the entire uh, industry to them. Yeah, uh-huh. and Kit Harington's doing well, obviously. Yeah, I was just going to say almost the same thing, actually, Micah, that in this, this, it's an interesting mix of some more well-known actors and some that I've never heard of before. Um, like Clive Russell, obviously, as Brendan Tully. I think he's quite well-known. Um as well as Thomas Brody Sangster, uh, who was uh, the cute kid from Love Actually. That's where oh, I know cool. him from, oh, anyway. Oh, I knew I recognized and, him. Um, yeah, and uh, he's going to be playing one of my favorite characters, Jojen Reed, so I was so excited about this. Because, uh, oh. yeah, he's amazing in Love Actually. And obviously he's like Jojen. 10 years older now. But uh, I have to say, though, I was really surprised, and, and I mean absolutely no disrespect to either the actor or the actress, uh, Thomas Brody Sangster or Ellie Ken. Kendrick, is that how you say her name? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they look like swamp people. <laughs> oh, oh no! My God. <laughs> how could you say that? I mean, they look like swamp people. <laughs> <laughs> they look like they're perfectly cast for this role. Yes. Oh yes. my God! For well, Jojen and Mira Reed, the gauntlet wow. has been tossed in your general direction, Sangster. It's funny. Now. I was re- I was just rewatching the video right now, and Mackenzie Crook and Richard Dormer, uh, just two <laughs> older actors I've never seen before, and they are speaking very eloquently here about their roles. So I like that. Mm. People with cool names are just cool in general. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't. I don't <laughs> yeah, know what's sure. what's cooler: being named Christopher Hivju or playing the role of Tormund Giantsbane. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Either way, he's good. Whatever. <laughs> well, we've also had a a, a little email. Uh, slice message from Micah in our plannings of recording this next episode, and he is just devastated at the uh, at the the fallback in the news from the latest Emmy Awards nominations because it seems that we only have one person. Am I correct? Well, yeah, it's one person. I mean, the show was nominated uh, for best drama series, but as far as any of the actors or the actresses are concerned, it's only Peter Dinklage who was nominated for best supporting actor for the second year in a row. Mm. And we do have a total of twelve nominations for the show. And you can see a total list of all of those at gameofowns.com. Um, but none of, I mean, those are for things like costumes, hairstyling. There is one outstanding casting for a drama series, which is quite a cool one. But they're basically behind the scenes stuff. In terms of actors, it's only Peter Dinklage. And then the general one, which is good as well. We've made it our undying, endearing, and never ending mission to go chapter by chapter ish. And when I say ish, that's a strong ish. Through the Song of Ice and Fire book series, which just so happens to be what this outstanding show, what we've been talking about, is what all of these people are getting casted for and awarded for, for their acting and blah, 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 all based on this block of literature and these blocks of books. And um, last episode, I had to miss, unfortunately, chapters 6 through 10. So now we've got 11 through God knows that we're doing, right, guys? <laughs> 16, I guess. That is right. There we go. Although they're not numbered, it's it's really important to point that out because it's it's t- it's really difficult i think for us to all sync up if we didn't all know what we were doing it'd be difficult to sync chapters because I they're agree. not numbered i think they should be numbered george r. r martin should have thought about this well yeah i agree because the problem is too <laughs> i've seen different versions of the books and the page count the page numbers are not all the same 
because the books are typeset differently. So there's really almost no way to sync up unless you know what specifically, how specifically each chapter begins. We linked up something in last week's show notes that had a, um, a nice little guide mm-hmm. to anyone who is reading along or and also really useful to ourselves that just basically plots out the entire series so we know what the numbers are unofficially. Yeah. So that's where we are and that's what we're doing. So for all intents and purposes, you guys have been following along and reading with us. And I'm assuming that we're doing 11 through 16 right now, which is from Danny to Sansa, which sounds like a television show that could make it on some kind of from Danny show. to Sansa. Danny hey, to Sansa. <laughs> what are you doing today? I don't know. Joffrey's being really rude to me. I think I'm going to go outside and see if I can make it outside to play with the other kids in the town. Like, wait, Yay! isn't that what your sister does? Isn't that what your sister does? Oh, you're right. I'm going to go knit a sweater now. Okay. <laughs> what about you, Danny? What are you going to be doing? Oh, I don't know. I lost my pet dragon, so I'm going to go kill a few people and hopefully I can find them. <laughs> this is perfect. Danny and What are you two children doing? I'm Brienne. I will fight you because I have a good sword. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, but Brienne's right, sword anyway. Brienne's sword is not named Lion's Tooth, is it? Not yet, not oh, yet. Oh man. So so our our selection this week begins with a wedding. How's that? Danny It's beautiful. Danny Targaryen, Daenerys Targaryen weds Cal Drogo in a beautiful ceremony. It's a day long <sighs> event. Well uh, I guess the wedding is a the wedding is a day-long event, and then the after-party is kind of several days long, apparently. That sounds like a blast. Let's be honest here. It does. <laughs> yeah. They're in the middle Don't of a think field. About it. There's some, some, some murdering, and it's just a great time. Um, there's gifts presented. We can go through the, the sort of gifts, etc. But um, Danny's very scared uh, this whole time, very obviously. And it, it's kind of – this chapter focuses on her – um, anxiety, you know, regarding the wedding, but more specifically what comes after. And she's really trying to learn to be strong and to steel herself, um, you know, against what's happening. But uh, ultimately, she discovers that it may not be all that bad. Um, once she ends up meeting Cal Drogo, he essentially sweeps her off her feet, I think, with his, uh, you know, tremendous attention to foreplay. He's a total babe, that's why. Who knew? Who knew that Cal Drogo, the leader of the Calazar and 40,000 troops or 40,000 men, had such soft, supple hands? I did. Look at his hair. He <laughs> takes care of that shit. Yeah, it's all that oil in the hair that he's been, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I Think about I, it. Oh, I, I thought this was it's such a good – this is such a good chapter. It's such a good introduction to Danny's life. You know, it's sort of like we had that first chapter where she was so scared – and everything was terrible. And now it's sort of like George R. R. Martin is already um, sort of reassuring the reader, saying, oh, but it's going to be okay because he's nice, really. And very interesting that they went a completely different way in the show, saying, nope, it's crap. <laughs> it's better for TV if shit it goes is. bad. But Drogo is nice. You know, you don't expect that. I mean, I think it, it was really consistent with the, the series was with the book. I mean, pretty much the whole way around along up until this point and this scene in particular you know the wedding you get the fighting you get the raping not that that's pleasant to watch but (laughs) you know you you get the uh the murder that happens um right in front of daenerys you get the gift presentation and then you get you know them going off to uh do their thing and you know that's all consistent with what is going on in the series yeah i think now was was there the point in the series i'm just forgetting because it was a while ago on television um, when she gets the horse from Caldrogo and she rides it around and then says, you know, tell Caldrogo he's given me the wind. 
Um, do you guys remember that being in the TV? Yeah, that, yeah, that was yeah. a great point in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, she's really embracing. She's beginning to embrace um, the freedom that almost the freedom from her brother in a way. She doesn't realize it yet that you know this wedding uh, is 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 having on her. And speaking of the other gifts, real real quickly. Who wouldn't want a gown made from the skin of a thousand mice? I know, right? That sounds pretty nice, mm-hmm. actually. <laughs> I mean, I haven't worn a gown in a while, but it's pretty sweet. You wouldn't turn it down, Zach, is what you're saying. Like, I wouldn't turn it down is what I'm saying, a, yeah. A thousand nice mice. Can you imagine like making a, a gown made of a, the skin of a thousand mice? Like, that's, that's pretty intense. Like, mice are soft, though, so you'd think like... I mean, I haven't held a mouse in a very long time. <laughs> but you would just imagine that that would be the, sil- the, the silkiest... Most soft, you know, it's fabric. Probably similar in nature to fishnet. I mean, I don't know personally. That's well, yeah. Yeah. Like fishnet pretty cool. If fishnet yeah, weren't fishnet so gown. revealing, I would be wearing it more. Um, but the, the skin of a thousand mice. Well, I assume it's white. So if it gets wet, then it'd be pretty see through. Yeah. There you go, Eric. Yeah. We finally got to see the um, the epic. No scene. I, uh, <laughs> I was wishing I had the audiobook that, so badly. That I dude, the audiobooks are. If you guys have read this with us and you have, maybe you've read it before. If you haven't ever read it, and you're just listening to the show because you enjoy Eric dulcet tones. Then um, I think that you should definitely just find this audiobook and just listen to it because the the the, uh, the words spoken aloud in this scene are quite possibly the most out of context and most comical way to, to read <laughs> yeah. such a romantic just a romantic and just touching moment two people becoming intimate and it's just uh he's not he doesn't sound like that and he never would have sounded like that and uh yeah the text actually you know guys the text gets a little oddly into detail which i mean i realized that this isn't a children's book so that's not a big deal but at the same time i was just like eh, that's a little odd but it you know worked. compared to the show though it's like it's nothing because you know no, I, you're, you're you're absolutely and right i, re- it's I just remember reading this read it. after watching the first season and i remember thinking how tame it was like the book no you're right i was very surprised and i've been tell- talking to people who read it and it's like oh yeah it's really it's kind of a racy book and i'm like what <laughs> It's it's like PG compared to what we see in the show. Yep. Do you think it has a yeah, difference totally between right. showing and like telling? Like to show it on TV is something totally different than just explaining a concept in the book. Like for them to show it on TV, it's like even not even worse, but just it's more intense than because in the book, you know, we've seen this in the last few chapters too. Catelyn is talking about hoping that Ned's seed quickens and that kind of thing. You know, leading up to this moment in the book, but in the TV show. You know, if you show bare breasts, it, it just has more of an effect almost on that little part of you that feels like you're watching yeah. or reading something dirty. I feel like we've been desensitized. I is think that, you're is right. That it? Yeah, I think you're right by that. I think we've been desensitized completely because we, uh, you know, I, I'm not taken aback by any of these scenes in the HBO show. I mean, I'm an adult. I've seen things probably, you know, who knows when who started watching R-rated movies when they were young. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that that's not as that's more likely to see than reading text and reading that. You see what I'm saying? Because I'm not reading romance novels. So so for me personally to read it, it has more of an impact on me. Not that it actually bothers me, but it kind of makes me, I don't know, giggle for a moment and like reach into that immaturity that I had when I was 13 years old and go, that was funny. No, I I think, I think the books are in a way more graphic, Um, but because it's on text, 
you know, it, it's something that you just kind of go with, you know, as probably being part of the world. It's you can be more forgiving because it's in the text than if know. they were to show it on TV. I feel like I, I really feel it's the opposite. I feel like when you get it on TV, you sort of you are assaulted with the <laughs> if you want to put it that way, like the imagery and the sounds and the everything. It's just like it's right there in front of you. Whereas I think in books. It's thoughts, you know, it's Danny's thoughts as she's experiencing these yeah. things. In the later chapters, it'll be Tyrion's thoughts or whoever's thoughts hmm. um, from one perspective. It's not so all-encompassing, whereas I'm not... I, I remember, you know, watching the pilot of the show, and I was like, oh my god, this is... Like, there's so much sex and violence in this. Is, and like, is there even a point to it besides just being sort of showing Sexy us violence. all this? Yeah. Um yeah. Whereas in the books, I mean, obviously it's about their feelings. <laughs> Maybe I'm just being a girl now, but <laughs> no, but no, you're no, you're totally right. And they they take it a step further in the show too. I mean, you're left here with Cal Drogo, you know, doing something to her at the end of the chapter, which right. is not what is portrayed in the actual show. In the show, it mm-hmm. actually takes it a step further, and so. You, but I agree with what Zach's saying. You know, you're kind of desensitized to all of this when you watch it on television i don't know what that says about us as a culture i think you know actually when you read it in text sometimes it can be more impactful um and yeah. you're kind of taken back a little bit more that that's actually written down somewhere but i think when you see it though at the same time the whole sansa scene that was in season two you know you're you're thrown into a bit of shock when she's about to get raped by these regular town mm-hmm. folks so i think it can kind of work both ways you know either the book can shock you with what's in there, um, but also when it's brought to life on television and you're actually experiencing it visually, it can have um, such an impact. Um, can be even scarier. Yeah. I think it just comes down to what we're used to seeing, yeah. honestly. Simple as that. Yeah. Right, but I think there's also a difference, so- though, between seeing sex on television and seeing something like rape on television, even though what's yeah. happening to Danny yeah. in a way is not you know, consensual. It's... yeah. It's it's rape in the in the book. It's much more consensual than it is in the show, right? Mm-hmm. Which is such a gr- I mean, it's such a great thing in a way. And I don't know if one of the reasons they changed it was because it seemed a little bit unrealistic. But I like that because you know George R. R. Martin's world is rough and uncompromising and just really sometimes hard to hard to stomach, both in the story when you read it and when you watch it but I feel like it was sort of a a, a soft introduction if you will they were um, <laughs> they were easing us into it if you want to put it that way um, <laughs> along with Danny um, so I, I thought it was good it was sort of a, a way to say this stuff is happening in the show and this stuff is gonna no in the book but we're going easy on you wink wink I, I, I think yeah. I think in both cases um, you know just talking about Danny's character both in the book and in the show Eventually, it becomes about taking control of the situation. Yeah. You know, no longer um, mating as if you were a slave and mating more as if you were the Cal's wife. Um, and that's something that she really comes into as, you know, as a character um, is embracing her power, um, you know, and, and, and her dignity. So that is something that's important. And, you know, we can read about it. We can watch about it. But ultimately, it's, a, it's, it's the same character moment being you know both in the book and on tv and you're you're more sympathetic for her as a character too especially in these early chapters because you know you see her trying to almost comfort herself saying that she is the blood of the dragon and and that's what's kind of getting her through everything that she's about to confront and for a 13 year old girl that makes sense but i think with the show what's happened especially in season two when you constantly have a 
a woman who's clearly in her 20s, you know, saying that she is the blood of the dragon and all of this other jazz, it doesn't translate as much. Here you're dealing with a very scared young woman. In the show, she's not saying it. She's shouting it, you know, like a petulant (laughs) child, ironically enough. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, another character that we get a lot of insight into in this chapter, and, and we saw it in previous Daenerys chapters, is Viserys. And you know, he's just such a little punk. I mean, he, he might you know challenge Joffrey for punk of the book so far, I think, <laughs> in terms of just how in, he treats his sister in, in this degrading manner. <laughs> and yeah. you know, he even um, offers her up at one point to Jorah for his services i believe right and yeah so he has absolutely no respect for his his sister and and that's surprising i mean this is his his last living relative that we know of at this time and all his focus is on you know reacquiring the the throne well there's there's a parallel here because um viserys doesn't he i mean danny killed their mother or their mother died died yeah. in childbirth mm-hmm. So it's it's similar with the way Tyrion um, is hated by Cersei, um, you know, for killing their mother. Essentially, you know, coming into this world not as a force of good, but you know, as as the opposite, something to be despised. Because you know, Viserys was uh, very much a mama's boy, from what we gather, um, <laughs> you know, before it all happened. And so there is some of that. Not that it's justified, but that's how Viserys feels about Danny, that he can just treat her like. Like, you know, she's nothing because she, she took away his mom. And and there is one other bit in this chapter, too, where she has this dream, which is a bit of foreshadowing, I thought, towards what happens at the end of, of this book. She She's running away from Viserys, and she's completely naked. She sa- It says that her legs are, are thick with blood, and she kind of finds refuge in the fire, and the fire goes up all around her, and all of a sudden Viserys is gone, and she comes face to face with the dragon. And I thought maybe that was kind of a way early on of George R. R. Martin foreshadowing things that are to transpire a little bit later on in this book. Yeah, I mean, if that's not a bit of foreshadowing, I don't know what it is. <laughs> well, and Viserys, you know, when, when Danny angers him, Viserys calls it waking the dragon, waking the dragon. She spent her whole life being afraid of waking the dragon. And by the end of the book, the character arc completely changes and she's woken a different dragon. You know, not to spoil. <laughs> no but, but, yeah. but still, it's 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 you know that that's that's what she's so afraid of, and yet that's her destiny is is to mm. you know wake the dragon, and, and so that's really cool. And speaking about waking the dragons, I mean that was one of the most important things about this chapter was that she got the dragon eggs, which I thought was really interesting the way that she got them from Illyrio, and you just you have to think because they they were obviously they were fossilized, but she managed to wake them up so. Are there more dragon eggs out there? You know, if they if these three three were around, will we eventually see more? Going the, like the books go on and on and on about being blood <laughs> of the dragon. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm beginning to think that she's the only one uh, who. But are they know, the only eggs? Though that's the thing. I mean, are they, they only they're eggs? from beyond the Shadowlands or something to that effect? Right. With which is what uh, Magister Lirio says, but there can't just be three. I mean, no, there's I mean, got to be and, more somewhere. And the fact that they're collected. Yeah, it just sounds like there's hundreds of thousands in caves being, you know, equally fossilized somewhere beyond the Shadowlands. In the land of Mordor. The land of Hodor. Or just yes. not simply Hodor and the Mordor alone. <laughs> 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 that worked on many levels. I like that. Yeah. 
So speaking of the Targaryens, um, the next chapter, Eddard, opens with <laughs> both Ned and Robert discussing that very family. And uh, they're, they're on like this chill horse ride. They're like broing out, you know, <laughs> taking a nice... I love this scene. Yeah. No, it's so nice in the show. Yeah. And it's uh, when I first read it, I was just like, ah, oh, it's so nice like that they adapted this the, the show so near to the book, including just, just the setting so well. And they didn't change it up because they needed something more cinematic, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like it was uh right. It was such a nice conversation, such a nice adaptation from film or from book to film. And uh it was really great to read, honestly. Yeah, you got a lot of backstory, I thought, in this particular chapter. And you could just see the dynamic, the relationship that the two of them have with each other that they're, they're not in front of anybody else where they have to be sort of subscribing to these particulars you know they're they're friends and they're talking like friends and you, you don't always get that dynamic i think in the show even though they did take this particular scene and do it very well so we get some insight into john snow's mother and willa is mentioned for the first time and ned his, you know, it's just like his defense mechanism just turns right on. And he basically tells Robert, look, step off. I don't want to hear anything about this. And that's the end of it. Why so defensive, Ned? <laughs> <laughs> Why so serious, Ned? Uh, Robert tells him, "You sometimes you're, you know, you're so, what is it? You're so thick. I think you should take uh, a porcupine or a hedgehog for your house sigil. Yes, yes. I love that. That was hilarious. <laughs> that was awesome. I like that even though he's the king, like they're still like, you know, total bros to one another. But it's so funny because like Robert has the trump card because at any moment he's like, listen, man, <laughs> shut up. I'm the king. So chill. <laughs> and, he, and he plays that card. He plays that card when he's oh, talking yeah, he about. Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah, in this, in this very chapter. Um, but you're right. I mean, Ned does all of a sudden, <laughs> you know jump up and 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 when when the uh when the question of john you know snow is raised and i think honestly if this were a different book titled harry potter and the game of thrones i would be (laughs) i would be thinking (laughs) i would be thinking immediately that that was an issue that deliberately deliberately we were supposed to be be asking because ned is being very dodgy about this um and you know this is the first we're reading the first 15 chapters of the book by the time this episode's over and this issue has been brought up at least twice already and it gets brought up again or or a similar one gets brought up in Sansa's chapter with Arya um so you know this question about Jon Snow's lineage and you know Jon Snow looking like a Stark whereas all the other kids look like a Tully this is just something that seems so fresh like we're meant to to question it but uh, I think it does end up taking a, a backseat to to what what else is going on, but right. it just it just seems so obvious that he's that George R. R. Martin's drawing attention to it. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing when authors often put in bits like this that are sort of giving you hints that this is where the story is headed as far as a grand scheme goes. Like they do it in Potter, they do it in Game of Thrones, they do it in basically every story. Um, and I, I feel like most people expect them to be hidden a little bit more, like. I guess appropriately and thoroughly, but I kind of like it when it's made clear that there's going to be something based on this stuff. Like the whole deal with Rob being a bastard and maybe questioning who his parents are. And I I think it's pretty obvious that Ned not only doesn't want to talk about it because he doesn't like the situation and he's wants to be private about it, but because it has a more dark undertone that we just haven't found out yet, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Well, fortunately, Robert bless him is 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 easy to dismiss Ned's you know tension by by you know by by saying that Oak oh, very clearly you know you don't want to talk about your your bastard because you're so honorable you know he he jokes about Ned's honor there but. They do have this bro understanding, which was, as you say, greatly translated in the uh, in the TV series. Um, in fact, I was kind of revisiting that in my head while I was reading, you know, because they're just in like some some wood, you know, in some clearing of of a wood, sitting down. Uh, I don't even know if it's at a picnic table or not, but I imagine them at a picnic, a picnic table. table. Oh yeah, I imagine them at a picnic oh, yeah. table, like just With chilling. A few scones littered about. Yeah, yeah. Yogi Bear's there. Um, Yogi Bear is chilling. Hey, boo boo. He's just hanging out, having a good time. Yeah, I really hope that they bring, they manage to bring them two actors back for some kind of flashback in season oh, three yeah. or four or something like that. You know, there's so oh, much, there's so much space for it because they talk so much. Like half these books are about the past. You yeah. know, they're about the, like, about he the should trident. have written pre pre pre. <laughs> he should have written pre prequel pre There you go. Wow. Prequel books. There was. Everybody's having. I'm just gonna leave this part <laughs> in because it's awesome. Okay. <laughs> uh, cut out your own, but okay. Yeah, but wouldn't that be like going back and Potter to sort of like not only the Marauders days, but to the uh, well, I guess you would call it the Marauders days, and they got a little bit older when Voldy thing was doing his first rise to power. Like I feel like that's your backbone that builds the perspective for this story and now it's time to focus on this whole entire new battle that's going to be even more epic because we've got the ice and we've got the fire and that's a totally different thing that wasn't in the previous like fight i see that but for me like part of understanding these characters is the only thing we're going to get from them in the books is is hearing about what their loyalties were like you know the way that 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 the lannisters never adopted the sigil of baratheon that kind of thing you know, I, I just I find that because we're being inundated with that information, whereas in the TV show it would be much more, you know, kind of directed to where we're what we're supposed to be looking at. In the book, I, I just I hesitate to think that, you know, it won't come into play simply because we're getting all that backstory that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I think as well, like as as amazing as a uh, Marauders backstory story would be, J.K. Rowling, <clears throat> um, <laughs> I, I think that. Um, it's different, very different in the case of Game of Thrones, exa- exactly because of what Eric says. I mean, so far we're only 15 chapters into the first book, but in book five, the characters are still going on about the Battle of the Trident and whatever Ned Stark and Robert Baratheon did about XYZ, you know? Like, there's so much right. scope for bringing these characters back because half the story is about the characters that are still alive looking looking back and using that to um, inform their decisions now. I mean, look, taking a character like Jamie or Catelyn or um, uh, what's-his-face, Baelish, Littlefinger, or whoever, you know, taking one of them and using a, a, a powerful flashback of Ned Stark and, and Robert Baratheon to tell a key piece of that their backstory would be so epic. I mean, they could do it if they wanted to. And I sort of feel oh, like... that would be awesome. And I sort of feel like either they they can't do it because it would be too expensive for them because the actors would probably want, you know, money, obviously, to come back, um, as they do. Yeah. But I also feel like maybe they're saving it. You know, if they are going to do a Robert and um, Ned flashback, it would have to be very, sort of at a very key moment in the story. Although I like the idea that the show would stay in present day. You know, yeah, as a, as a yeah. technique, wouldn't that be like, I think that's what Zach was saying earlier too. Like, you know, the style of the show being always in present day that they would never do a backstory simply because that would break 
you know, the, the tra- tradition, but also, like, wouldn't it be cool if they could make it all work without doing a flashback? Um, right. Well, I just think it's very clear that the future that they're building and this this strife that they're building now, mm-hmm. this War of Kings, is insanely grander yeah. than the battle to usurp the throne that we oh, have yeah, yeah, before that, that they're talking about. Yeah. I mean, even, even already what we've seen in the show, I feel like it's, it's, it's getting to the point where the last one was. And, you know, we haven't even touched what's actually going to happen. I mean, look at our last uh, bit of season two yeah. you know yeah the right. larger conversation that these two guys are having are is about killing daenerys targaryen and we learn in this chapter that jorah is actually a spy we we see oh, more yeah. of the resentment <laughs> that ned actually has for jorah jorah has really betrayed his allegiance to house stark and so there there's a really kind of tenuous relationship there between the two of them um but you know much like we see in the tv show there, there's a strong desire on the part of Rob to go after Daenerys, and yet there's this really instinctual side of Ned, which is more fatherly in a way, where he basically says, look, she's only 13 years old, and how are you going to go after and look to kill uh, a young girl, despite the fact that she's just married uh, to Cal Drogo? And news seems to spread very fast there uh, in, in the Seven Kingdoms, despite the fact that they're an ocean away. Uh, from each other, and they have sweet I know, ravens. I yeah, I mean, sweet about ravens. Um, They're like trained real well. Yeah, exactly. So um, that was that was kind of the other big piece that that came out of this chapter. Also, the fact that Ned cautions him on, on trusting the Lannisters, and I wonder if that has anything to do with the information that that he got before he left uh, about them possibly being involved in in John Aaron's death. Um, mm-hmm. But he makes it a very very clear point of of how you know. They were in charge of the city when um, Ned showed up, uh, and uh, you know Jamie had just killed Aerys Targaryen. So, and Jamie was sitting on the Iron Throne. Who knows if that was foreshadowing <laughs> yep. to anything? Mm. Yeah. Well, he was definitely being an ass, if that's anything. Just <laughs> right. in, in true Jamie fashion, like flip the hair out of his eyes. I used to have long hair, guys. I know how it goes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, it was just, it's just funny because uh, right after you know he's talking about all this, and then he basically looks at Robert and he's like, "Hey, um, knowing all of this, bro, bra, um, <laughs> why did you make Jamie Warden of the East? You know." Like, why are you, you're basically just yeah. fueling what what could happen, possibly. Like, John Aaron's gone. He's maybe asking him to use his noggin a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's because Tywin is War to the West, right? Right. Yes. So now they own the East and the West, yeah. but not the North. And, and right. their kid, you know, Robert's own kid, you know, still has mostly a Lannister you know, upbringing and it's, it's, it's bad. It's bad. Robert is in such a pickle. Ned tries to reason with him and, and doesn't, doesn't Robert say like, Oh, that, you know, you've never sat on that throat. It's super uncomfortable. Like no wonder Jamie got up, you know, from yeah. it. I'm just like, Oh, just making jokes. Yeah. Just making jokes about the whole situation, but it's, it's a threat. And I think, you know, from this conversation, Ned realizes that he is, you know, going to have a lot of work to do when he gets to King's Landing. Humor is a really great device to ignore troubles. Yeah. And I think Robert's not stupid, but he definitely doesn't want to think about any of it because it is so bad. Exactly. I think, no, I think all that this proves really is that Robert, for all that he is, he was never supposed to be king. You know, like mm-hmm. he was never, he, he was never fit to be a king, both because he hate, clearly hates it, but also because things like this, like he just doesn't want to deal with. He doesn't want to deal with the possibility that his wife and his, you know, captain of the king's guard are out to get him. You know, 
and that there's a conspiracy like killing John Aaron. No, none of that. How badass would King Stark would have been? You know I saying? know he wouldn't want Just it. A he wouldn't want trust in great king. Yeah. yeah, but he has to. He has to look beyond himself and do it for the good of the line. That's true, especially considering the the lessons we later hear that he taught all the Stark children about being a king. Um, right. So, yeah, Ned would have made a badass king, it's true. Which is cool, and, and it's great to get a little perspective from the beginning of these books. It's awesome. And, you know, as as these chapters move on, we do keep getting hints of things that are happening before, but it's great to see characters like, you know, Tyrion grow. So we move on uh, to Tyrion, who's on his way to the Wall uh, with John and uh, Uncle Benjen. It sounds like a uh, thing out of the Beverly Hillbillies or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Yorin, I think it's the first time Domi, isn't it, that we get introduced to Yorin, although uh, briefly. Overall, this chapter, I thought, was it was really great. It was almost just a lesson to Jon Snow. I mean, when, mm -hmm. when Tyrion and Jon start talking to each other, Tyrion just really schools Jon on what the Night's Watch is all about. They talk about dragons a little bit. Um, but ultimately, I think Tyrion really likes Jon Snow, and he likes the idea of, in a way teaching him mentoring him yes. yeah no this chapter was one of my favorites i think i've read out of the out of what i've read from the first two books because you know they're just camping they're hanging out and you get to see so much of this great sort of conversation that we got a hint of outside of that party when he did that awesome triple flip into some pine trees <laughs> and I, I there's so much uh imagery with what tearing is saying when he's talking about these dragons he's like hey i would all i always wanted to ride a dragon because from a dragon, any bastard, imp, or cripple can look down on the world. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So basically what he's saying is this is a tool of power that not only normal people, not only people that maybe are the, the daughter of – or excuse me, the mother of dragons, but that, that this is a tool that there are ways and, – and, and he's not saying for – in a literal sense. He's not saying, well, this is how we, we become powerful. He's saying normal people are just normal people, but they may have better devices to get to gain power or to gain perspective, which is basically what he's saying when he says his greatest weapon is his mind. Mm -hmm. Did anybody else think of Bran when he made that quote? About, about cripples? A cripple looking down on the world from a dragon. I mean, no. yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I mean, knowing what I know about the saddle and stuff like that, uh, I, I feel like his affinity for people that are broken, uh, it translates into all of his conversations. So mm -hmm. just reading this and not having any thought forward, I probably wouldn't have pieced those together. But it's clear that he's a good person and he's out for looking down for the good people. The only thing that I could think of while reading this chapter was that if the Game of Thrones had been written by the author of Matilda, you know, it would have ended with I just John watched moving that last in. Night. Oh, no. Did you really? <laughs> yes, really. <laughs> I was That's supposed to be so falling random. asleep, but I turned that shit I on. I expected yeah. you to make this connection. Then I was just gonna say, in the end of the the story, John would have moved in with Tyrion, and they would have had a you know a little candy box, a really broken friendship. Like she goes, "Have one." It's exactly. just a beautiful moment. <laughs> <laughs> Much too good for children. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it was a uh, that would be awesome. Like a little like know, bachelor right? pad. They could yeah. still have that room in King's Landing, and it's just like maybe they could like have adjoining rooms, and they just like. Play little drinking games and like just go out I in the know. town and gamble. Yeah, That'd be so fun. Let's watch that. Life. If Roald Dahl had written Game of Bones, exactly. Game of Thrones. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. And like Tyrion and John, even in this chapter, they get on each other's nerves still, or, or rather, Tyrion, things that Tyrion says, John is not willing to accept or ready to accept, you know, about the king, you know, the king's guard, the, the Night's Watch being, you know, essentially all the rejects. Um, and you know, he knows that, that John, he's trying to soften the blow. Like Tyrion is just looking out for this fellow bastard cripple imp, you know, and, and, and really kind of, um, trying to guide him. And, uh, if John, you know, 
it's it's weird because John knows as you know the Starks and and Lannisters you know not really supposed to mesh. In, I don't know. He's, he's got this like he's got this awareness about him. You know this anxiety to trust Tyrion, but Tyrion's really looking out for him and really doing you know right by him and having this conversation, making him more comfortable for what's going to happen. Uh, you know, just kind of preparing him. Uh, I just love these two characters. Me too. And I love them from the show. And a chapter like this, much like the last chapter that we had between Ned and Robert, it's mm-hmm. just great perspective and it shows you so much of their personality and they're they're so likable in so many different ways. God, it's it's like this is not the sixth or seventh time we're gonna be like, Hey, shouldn't these two characters have a sitcom? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> what what would what um series would most closely resemble Tyrion and John? Um, Two and a half men. Oh, <laughs> an ass. One and a half men. <laughs> I want to say. I want to say Entourage, it's just because that'd be badass. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, one and a half so men. Cool. But it's clear that there's a a bond developing there between the two of them. Um, and we know that Catelyn does not share the same feelings that Tyrion does for John. Uh, so, yeah. No. And uh, so this chapter opens with her still at the bedside of Bran and not seemingly wanting to move at all. And no. she's clearly yeah, neglecting her. getting ridiculous. Her. Yeah, I mean, she's really neglecting her other children. I know, Selena, on the last episode, you pointed out that she definitely has a favorite child. <laughs> and uh, she's not doing much to it's disprove your Rickon. theory. <laughs> yeah, it's not Rickon. <laughs> Poor Rickon. Who, who's three years old and has no idea what's going on. All of his family has left him. He's following Rob around all day. And... Uh, so, I mean, really what happens, uh, the, the main event of this chapter is when the library goes on fire. Rob rushes out to try and deal with that, and somebody, some mysterious individual, enters the room and <laughs> says to Catalan, you're not supposed to be here. What are you doing here? <laughs> I, did, I had to give a moment of silence for the library. We yeah. just we just, we just found out, like, Tyrion. Yeah, he's going to be pissed. Oh, yeah. So pissed. Tyrion will kill whoever he has to himself just because the library is burned out. Like, so nobody would shut up about how cool the, the, the Stark library was at Winterfell. You know, the, the only full copy of that book that Tyrion was reading and years and years of knowledge. It's just such a, it's such a sh- sad uh, thing to see burn. I know. Yeah. And that's yeah. another thing where I just was so pissed off at Catelyn. You know, I really do like her, but... In these chapters, you know, when the library burned and she was like, oh, you know, she spared a thought for Ned's old books, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you do have to get a little bit of perspective. Her her child did fall out of a tower. That is true. That is true. You know, and being being a mother, she's a little concerned about that child. And I think that has a lot to do with why she won't leave his bedside for the sheer chance that if he wakes up, he won't be alone and he won't. Be, he won't be without his mother's face, which I think is also that she's thinking about, you know? Yeah, you're yeah, right. Where's, where's the Tully resolve now? Where is that? You know, we heard that the Tullys are all hard asses about this stuff, but she is really a wreck for the first half of the chapter. Um, the Godswood has softened her, okay? Yeah. Yeah, I think it has. But yeah. fortunately, that does change uh, following this event. Also, she realizes she's completely useless uh, to defending Bran when it, you know, compared to Bran's direwolf. Uh, which is really able to now. I, I guess when when she is attacked by that strange man, um, she takes the blade in her hand, and that's that's not easy to do. I don't think. Um, but so she is she is kind of badass about that in in her own way. Yeah, that's why you need a pair of gauntlets, you know. Gauntlets, Just, golden gauntlets. You can pick up a lot of stuff, but also 
You can block swords if they come toward your hands. And I thought it was really cool because finally something happened, some kind of catalyst that allowed her to start really respecting these direwolves that she hadn't previously. And I thought that yeah. as far as the story progression and just liking those direwolves unnaturally like I do, I was like, oh, yeah, here we go. So finally protecting. It's good. In the series, too, when she grabs the blade, I was just, ah, oh, right? I had to cringe. Mm. But it's it's strong and, you know, it's her act of defiance. Yeah. Um, but I thought this scene was well adapted in the TV show. No, it was almost frame by frame, something like that. It was pretty close. They did a really good job at, like I said earlier, matching a, a lot of the perspective and the background and mm-hmm. just gen- and generally the setting and the mood of what was in the text. Um, and that goes against a lot of other adaptations that you know yeah. are in popular culture. It, it goes against season two. I think that's why it was so jarring <laughs> that they changed yeah. stuff because season one was pr- pretty much the book. Yeah, I know. And I, I, I feel like even for me, and I, I don't like to say this because season two was so strong and Blackwater was so badass and yada, 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 but I've really still do favor season one you know honestly yeah. that's interesting um so uh there's a meeting um four days later between um master lewin sir roderick uh thea Greyjoy is there um you know and basically and and rob stark are in and and catelyn formulates a, a plan she kind of gets back on her feet following this this attack, although her hands, you know, her, her wound isn't isn't healed in her hand, but she decides she's going to ride south to King's Landing. Um, she confides in them uh, that, you know, what Liza, her sister, feels about the death of John Aaron, you know, and, and then they have the blade of the, the, the attacker, you know, is, is not just a blade that any stable, you know, the guy was sleeping in the stables, they find out, you know, just, it's not just any blade. Clearly, somebody high up you know, he he was very clearly a, a hired, you know, gun. Assassin. I want to say, assassin to kill Bran, and then that that leaves the question: who would want to kill Bran? Very clearly now, the the suspicion is is heading to, you know towards the Lannisters, and Catelyn's like, oh snap, my husband just went with a bunch of Lannisters. Like that's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, so she tries to go and protect him, I guess, but she does say, you know, a, a bigger group would be more detected, so she takes a small group. Uh, with her south. Oh, and the other thing in this chapter, we see Rob take full power. I mean, even Catelyn says, you know, Rob is in charge now. And so he, I mean, he puts the, the appropriate guards in, in front of Bran's room and inside Bran's room. But now it's really Rob who is going to be running Winterfell. Mm. Yeah, Rob is evolving. It's great. She gave Rob He's- the choice to elect you know, who they would elect as the new protectors. <laughs> Rob is evolving. All I can think about is our Thanks. Pokemon conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Started. Rob that's evolved where, into well, that's where the shadow from. of Clefairy. <laughs> He's like an Ivysaur. He like, comes out. It's like, I'm ready, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And then there's Arya and Sansa, who are still very much level one Pokemon, which is not a big deal because I think Arya has zero retreat cost, which is very strong in the trading card game. And um, it's, it's a good strategy. But I think Sansa probably has a retreat cost of two energy cards because she's still in the future spoiler alert we know that she's still hanging around some of the bad people but this is their uh this is their travel towards the south just as we decide that or just as we discover that her mother will be traveling toward the south as well but probably not in a wheelhouse because that's not that fancy what she's doing no no lemon cakes for her no lemon cakes although we do get to meet uh someone that's very near into our hearts and uh you know a good friend of mine we finally get to see him in the uh in the book so actually you know what he's sitting here with us so uh micah why don't you tell us about you know what it was like to ride upstream and look for rubies let's hear about it oh yeah the Arya and i just had a great time that afternoon going out there 
Uh, and uh, <laughs> we were interrupted, unfortunately, um, when we were just, uh, you know, having a good time. We're two friends, you know, playing with our swords and uh, <laughs> wooden swords. <laughs> wooden yeah, swords. Practicing. Yeah. yeah. We were crossing the neck. I counted thirty-six flowers I had never seen before. And Micah showed me a lizard lion. Oh my uh, God. Just, 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 you know, just, you know, a little bit of exploration of the biology of the area. You know, it's wildlife. Of the area? It's fun. <laughs> and then, you know, we have an unexpected guest or a visitor, if you will. Uh, Sansa is just chilling. I got to say, I was a little upset that, that Micah ran away like a little girl. Uh, I kind of expect a little <laughs> bit more about him. He ran into the forest. But Micah had the smartest idea this character, Micah, because this clearly means trouble when you get into a, a confrontation, you know, between the, the, the king's son. Yeah, I, that's how the chapter opens, though, really, doesn't it? Uh, with with a bit of sibling rivalry between the two of them. And it's mm-hmm. clear that they're, no, they're nothing alike whatsoever. They're complete polar opposites. And, uh, you know, Arya is very outspoken, uh, doesn't really like... Uh, Marcella doesn't really like the queen very much, doesn't want to spend any time with them. And she makes, you know, no concessions. She's very uh, outspoken about it. And I think that, um, you know, it's it's very disappointing, though, uh, to Sansa that she's not going to be spending time with the queen and not going to be spending time with Marcella. And, and that's the whole reason why this this event, you know, between Joffrey and Micah and, and Arya and Sansa develops is because the the whole event that uh, Sansa's been looking forward to doesn't doesn't happen and uh you know, we are we are introduced though in that scene to a few different characters that have larger implications later on uh in the series including Selena's favorite character Renly Baratheon oh Ooh. yes he's definitely up there and yeah. Sir Barris and Selmy right yes he's also the, my uh, favorite character now I didn't really get this cuz Sansa seems <laughs> to stumble into the woods or like the clearing and they're all there, and then all of a sudden the scene becomes about how frightened Sansa was. But were they having a meeting of some sort? Um, and, and why was their event in the wheelhouse canceled? I, I, I don't think this was clear to me while reading. I think they're there because they're kind of like a, an entourage to take them from where they are to King's Landing. It's I guess it's kind of a formality of sorts, right, hmm. during those times. And you know they're part of the council, it says, and... Um, you know, Sir Barristan Selmy is part of the King's Guard, and I don't know, uh, Renly Baratheon is part of the the King's Council, and Sir Illyn Payne, who scares the hell out of Sansa, is the King's Justice, right? I mean, we know we yeah. see more from him later on, um, but basically, the King has a lot of stuff. Is, yeah, is he's hunting. That's to. number one, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so th- this whole scene develops when Joffrey, drunk Joffrey. And Sansa come upon Arya and Micah fighting with each other, mm-hmm. and it's actually the third straight chapter where we have a direwolf protecting one of the Starks. Ooh, it's almost as if they're trying to say something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I don't think we mentioned it earlier. Ghost jumps on Tyrion. Oh yeah, yeah, he yeah, does, yeah, he yeah. totally does. They're they're just like the slightest raise of Jon's voice, and then the direwolf who has not yet been named uh, rips out the throat of the intruder and then now we have uh nymeria jumping in and protecting mm-hmm. aria this was an interesting chapter um again talking about the differences between sansa and aria but because nymeria is essentially like aria's picking mud out of her fur because they've just been running you know in a place where there's mud and sansa and her you know lady her her dire wolf you know 
are, are kind of side by side and lady is very elegant uh you know very elegant even even eating food she's out of she's not even really a direwolf sansa's hand what, what was yeah, she yeah it is sounds she? like a poodle yeah sounds really. like a poodle yeah don't hate guys i know so don't sad. Hate. It's true. You shouldn't so hate. Oh, I like. I like Lady. It's just because the thing you about know, Lady, like Lady, she's too. so trusting. You know, and unlike you know Sansa, one of the things that is a problem with Sansa in the beginning of the story, I I do really enjoy her character now, but was that she was so judging, you know? And I guess one of the things about animals in general is that you don't feel like they're judging you. Yeah. Um. So you know, I really, I really like Lady. So yeah. Just I like Lady up too. Her. It reminds me of Lady and the Tramp. So I think of a cute, you know, dog who's <laughs> complicit. Aww. Complacent. This is like the most upsetting thing that happens the whole story for me, guys. <laughs> I can't even well, talk about it yet. <laughs> it hasn't I happened know. yet. So this is just really action. This is, uh-oh, what's happening? You know, and, and, and Joffrey, the thing is, Joffrey's really, um, this came across really well in the TV show because he's he, he was joking to Micah about a butcher's boy who wants to be a knight. And so he really like challenges Micah. Like the, I don't know if he's threatened by the notion that a butcher's boy would want to be a knight, but really he's just ridiculing it. And you know he says, "Take up your sword." Um, Micah even has to say, "You know it's not a sword; it's a stick, sir." You know that that kind of thing. Like um, Joffrey's really engaging, and at this point, I don't even think it's to impress Sansa. Like it's really just to impress himself. Yeah. Yeah, it's to exert his power to show how much power he has over somebody like Micah who's just a, a butcher's boy. No, I thought it was a little uh I thought I just the honestly that entire scene, um I couldn't stand Joffrey in that whole thing. He was just being an insufferable ass, just trying to look cool. Like he doesn't get to hang out with kids very much, so he's it just shows. Like, he's yeah, he's just being a jerk, you know? Mm. And honestly, I mean give that much power to a thirteen year old boy, that's bound to create problems even for normal, well adjusted kids. And then yep. you look at someone like Joffrey, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just yep. a disaster. And the falling action from that entire scene, which I'm sure we're going to talk about next week, um, I'm just not happy about. And we'll we'll, we'll talk about that, too. But um, just in general, that entire exchange between all of them, I just thought it was hilarious how badass Arya was because she honestly yes. didn't give a shit. I mean, her dad's, you know, the guy. Her dad's Ned Stark. Like, she knows she's good. So she's just, you know, just doing whatever. Well, yeah, she picks up this. This may turn into my own for the week, um, by the way. But just Arya picking up Joffrey's sword, lion's tooth, and throwing it as hard as she can in the lake. I'm like, who's gonna have to fish that, you know, out of the lake? Um, probably the hound. Yeah, yeah probably the hound. the hound. I was gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that that I thought was just was pretty excellent. But she just Arya wasn't trying to be badass. She was just trying to prevent Joffrey from causing more, you know, pain and harm and you know, continuing to be an ass that he so very clearly is. Yeah, but true badasses don't try to be badass. They're just natural in it in their behavior. That's true. And that's what she was doing, you know. Yeah. Well, Eric, you, you've pretty much gave us your own of the week as we slowly, gradually move into this part of the show. And so uh, I, I feel like we should go around. And, and by go around, I mean just because uh, I doubt we're in any kind of circular shape. Just, uh, sure. you know, do our usual dishing of what we thought the best parts of this episode, or excuse me, the best th parts of this <laughs> block of, of text was. I'll go first, actually, because I don't really have one anymore, because I had one, but we kind of already talked about it. So I don't know if we just want to say it, because it was actually, it's really random. Um, and it was like the one quote that was mentioned, which I guess kind of proves it was, that it was a good one, but I'll say it first because it's probably the lamest one out of all of all of yours. <laughs> so we'll, we'll okay. build up to the good ones with this one. Um, oh, God. 
which is basically it was in uh, the Ned chapter and it was the quote that we already mentioned from Robert Rathian when he says um I'll not press you if you feel so strongly about it, though I swear at times you're so prickly you ought to take the hedgehog as your sigil. <laughs> I loved it. And the reason it's Perfect. my own out of all of this is because when I first read the book, I remember I was laughing. And I don't even know why. It's not that funny. I was just cracking up. And then I started really liking Robert Brathian after that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give you my own a little bit because it's not very... I don't think it's... It's not magical in any way. It's not Micah-worthy is what you're saying? It's not Micah. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I didn't want to say it but you finally took the words right on right. it's not my it's not micah worthy but i'm gonna have to give my own of the week to, to the call for giving danny such an exceptional gift that Aww. she she brought herself out of this sort of even for a moment because she was terrified if you read the text guys she was in this sort of situation that she just did not want to be in and then all of a sudden she's like wait this horse is so awesome and she was such a a natural and i just thought it was great because uh you know She's 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 had some hard times, and you know now she's uh she's got something sweet, and so eventually uh, he steals her heart in many different ways because he's such a, a cool dude with rad hair, uh, and I'm holding up the the tubular or hang ten whatever you call that hand sign right now because it's uh it's pretty cool. So yeah, call Drogo, you win. You would probably be a good surfer if you tried if you didn't hate the water so much. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so uh, I thought about it, and I, I give it to Tyrion again. Um, Jeez. That's when Jon Snow Damn. asks him, why do you read so much? Um, and he <laughs> says, my mind is my weapon. My brother has his sword. King Robert has his war hammer. And I have my mind. And a mind needs books as a sword needs a whetstone if it is to keep its edge. I love that. Yes, and it me reminds too. me so much of Matilda because he's like, why are you reading? <laughs> <laughs> why would you want to read if you had the TV right in front of you? At one point in the film, Danny DeVito holds her face just staring at, at the, the TV. TV. <laughs> and it's just like the most mindless entertainment, like some VH1 shit. And she's just like in, in absolute pain, you can tell. So that's pretty cool. Another parallel. It's perfect. Right? Yes. I know. So if you guys want to shoot us your owns of the week, you can do that through our deliciously placed email, which is contact at gameofowns.com. We've got a lot of your emails that we're going to queue up to read some next week. We really wanted to dig into this block of text this week, but we've got your owns from last week, your owns from this week that you'll send us. We've got emails about the show and general ideas that we'll do there. Hypable. Let's go. Let's all go to hypable.com right now. Let's all go to of the week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. H-Y-P-P-L-E. What? What? H-Y-P-P-L-E. I don't remember that spell. It's Hypable is the place you go if you want to find things to do with lots of different fandoms. All in one strategically constructed place. Selena writes a lot of original stories there. And let me tell you, some of her lists are pretty darn interesting and funny. So if you head over to H-Y-P-A-B-L-E.com, you can scroll to the bottom and click her name in the footer, and gosh darn it, you'll be just put right where you need to be. Right, Selena? That is absolutely right. I do write awesome. <laughs> yes, it is an awesome website. Our own website is, of course, GameOfOwns.com. There are discussion forums and a recently revamped site featuring all of the owns that we can possibly gather for you. Uh, you can also find out more about the show and download and all that information there. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash Game of Owns. We're also on Facebook. There's a lot of really great, interesting stuff on that Game of Owns website that you can scroll through. Some old stuff that's pretty darn funny. So get your click on. And I know that Micah has uh, has scared some of you all into leaving us some kind 
kind reviews, but we've just reached uh, 100 five-star ratings and a few uh, a few threes from some of our competitors. I'm sure that's the only place they could have come from. <laughs> but uh, so I, I read a review recently um, where uh, a nice person was like, "All of Micah's threats aside," and then gave us all of the a bunch of nice things about our show. So we really greatly appreciate reviews. But I'm sure, again, as in most weeks, Micah has some sort of carefully constructed uh, way to get you to that iTunes place, right, Micah? Absolutely. I mean, uh, but again, you know, look. We only accept five-star reviews. That's just the way that, that we work here on the show. And if you don't do that, um, we're going to have to cut off your cock and feed it to the goats. <laughs> oh, <my. laughs> okay, fair well, enough. <laughs> well, fair enough. You heard it here, folks. I'm doing it right now, Micah. I'm giving us a five-star review. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm scared for the masses that listen to this show because I'm afraid for your well-being. Uh, in, in many different ways than one. But uh, hang with us, guys, because next week we're going to be reading what looks to be, what is it, guys? 17 through. Uh, Somebody. There we go. 17 through 22. No, basic, 21. 21. Basic mathematics is not something that we hold highly that in the show. That is not so. what we do. Yeah, that's not what we do here. But we do talk about Game of Thrones and laugh amongst one another and have such good times. Until next week. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Selena Wilkin. I'm Mike Tannenbaum. As features in Game of Thrones. And I'm Zach Louie. Keep your direwolves close, but keep your enemies away from your human bodies. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Enemy goats. <laughs>